KRCO, Salt Lake City. Koi Studio is an in-house, sustainable cut-and-sew studio at Clever Octopus that utilizes reclaimed textiles to create one-of-a-kind tote bags, fanny packs, dop kits, dog bandanas, dog toys, and more. All was available at Clever Octopus, 2250 Southwest Temple in Salt Lake, and online at cleveroctopus.org slash coi studio. I am Nick Burns, and this is Radioactive, a show for grassroots activists, a show for community builders, a show for punk rock farmers, and a show for DIY creatives. Thanks for plugging into your community with me tonight. And you know, up on the Hill, a lot of people are seeing a lot of harm being done at the beginning of this legislative session. A lot of bills seem to be moving rather quickly that don't seem all that friendly to the people of Utah, to folks in the trans community, uh, and so on. But tonight on Radioactive, we want to focus an hour on ways to step up to help the community, things that things that can be done to help out. So the Catholic Community Services of Utah and the Utah Council for Citizen Diplomacy, rather, they are working with the refugee community. They need your support. So stick around. We'll find out more about that. And later on the hour, Black Lives for Humanity movement, they are working with the houseless um, across our community who, as you may have seen this winter, are being pushed from the streets, pushed here, pushed there, pushed everywhere. So we'll have folks and a panel to talk about that. But Laura Jones, Rallies and Resources, let's jump into this. We got to get into it because we got a lot on the show. And so some calendar items. Tomorrow at noon, South Steps, the Capital League of Women Voters of Utah press conference. They are filing an amicus brief in support of Planned Parenthood Association of Utah in its case to challenge Utah's trigger law banning abortion in the state. So waiting for news to drop about that. We had them on last night with a bit of a preview. This keeps going on with uh, the bill to retroactively change how injunctions are done in the judiciary, which law enforcement courts are like, don't make us do this. You would think the courts would have something to say about the legislature trying to usurp their power. And then Friday, 5.30, Heal Utah is hosting a film screening to honor downwinders in Salt Lake City as Friday the 27th is the National Downwinders Day of Remembrance highlighting the harm caused by all parts of the nuclear weapons fuel chain. So they're screening downwind, downwinders. Did the government kill John Wayne? Friday, 5.30 at the University of Utah's William R. and Erlen J. Gold Auditorium uh, on campus. I'll put some details in the show notes. You also have a shout out about the gondola. What's going on there? Well, uh, yes, there's one of the last chances here for people to speak out against the gondola going up the canyon. Um, Save Our Canyons, they're hosting a writing for the Wasatch workshop. That's at the Patagonia Outlet, uh, February 1st from 6 to 8. And then they also have an event coming up quick. And I've got to get that paper here in front of me because I don't have that one. It's about the public comment. There is a public comment period. (laughs) Okay, I can uh, get that for you, too. Well, we play this clip from Salt Lake City Mayor Aaron Mendenhall, who gave the State of the City address for the capital city last night. And she had this to say about a unique partnership announced as part of her speech for the ballpark area. Gail Miller and the leadership of the Larry H. Miller Company love Salt Lake City and the ballpark neighborhood, and they have really treasured their time at Smith's Ballpark. When it became clear that the bees would definitely move, I urged them to consider their legacy and demonstrate their commitment to the continued strength of the ballpark neighborhood. And so, with our city as their partner, I'm excited to announce that the Larry H. and Gail Miller Family Foundation has agreed to lead a $100 million public-private partnership, a fundraising initiative that will provide a historic, human-centered investment in the ballpark neighborhood. Thank you. Salt Lake City Mayor Aaron Mendenhall making a pretty staggering announcement about a fundraising project that the Miller 
companies and family and a bunch of other partners are going to head up because what do we do with that ballpark stadium there? Ballparknext.com. They want your ideas. Prizes available. Yeah. What about women's sports? That's something Matthew LaPlante wrote in the Salt yeah. Lake Tribune the, the other day. The, the Royals might there. be a thought. I, the fear will be just another cookie cutter, great big apartment building. There's nah. lots of real estate there, but I think we could do better. I agree. And something we can do better on is uh, how to get up and down the canyons. And there is oh. some public comment being taken, Nick. Yeah, and that's tomorrow, the 26th at 2 p.m., the Wasatch Front Regional Council at the request of UDOT. Um, they want to recommend pulling... Uh, they want to recommend putting the gondola rather in the regional transportation plan. Uh, this will include funding for approximately a billion four hundred million of our money. That's for multiple projects. But you can show up tomorrow, Thursday, the twenty sixth, two p.m. That's it, the WFRC, that's 41 North Rio Grande Street, to help keep the gondola out of the regional transportation plan. Laura, on Radioactive, we certainly talked about widening the freeway, mm. and it seems like just like concrete keeps getting poured, yeah. these projects just get crammed down people's throats. But uh, that's something where you can speak up tomorrow. And again, that event, February 1st at 6, is also coming up um, to give you an opportunity to contact the governor. But for now, mm. that's something that can be done tomorrow. And again, it's a lot of money, and we've seen the legislature sort of do this kind of stuff before. So yeah, I hope. Well, I'll put all that in rallies and resources or the show notes so you can always go to krcl.org and follow up on all those items. Now, I have a pair of tickets to Ooh. the world premiere of a distinct society, which bows at Pioneer Theater Company at Pioneer Memorial Theater this weekend. And before I share this conversation, I would love to offer someone a pair of tickets. So give us a call at 801-359-9191. We'll make it happen for you. But earlier today, Kareem Fahmy came down to the studios to talk about his new play, A Distinct Society, set against former President Trump's Muslim ban. We're going to start the conversation with Joshua Black of PTC with details about the run. Joshua Black from Pioneer Theater. We wanted to get some of the who, what, when, where, why before we start talking with Kareem. Tell us about bringing this production to Pioneer and uh, why. Pioneer Theater Company has a previous relationship with Kareem. He has been uh, an incredible director from for some of our digital productions, A Christmas Carol, and then. But he is also he helmed uh, Fireflies last season. Um, he is also uh, quite a uh, beloved playwright right now, especially this season. He has his works popping up all over. Uh, so in addition to being an amazing director, uh, a playwright as well. So we are uh, incredibly excited to uh, be producing Kareem's world premiere of A Distinct Society starting this Friday. Uh, it's, it's a world premiere in association with Theater Works Silicon Valley. Let's get to the place of this play, Kareem. Thank you so much for giving us some time. Thank you for having me. And so glad to have you here in the studios. So this play, A Distinct Society, set in a library on the border of Vermont and Quebec in November 2017, the height of former President Trump's Muslim ban. This library is a real place. Yeah, it's called the Haskell Free Library and Opera House, which I think is really interesting. It's it's both a library and an opera house. Um, it was built or opened in 1901, and it's uh, it sits right over the border. So half of it is in the province of Quebec, which is where I grew up. Half of it is in Vermont. Um, and so during the events of the Muslim ban back in uh, the specific events in this play kind of transpire mostly in 2017, but it's um, what was sort of brought this library to to uh, attention was that families that had been separated by the Muslim ban realized that because this library was sort of in both countries at the same time and therefore kind of in neither country, um, it's sort of this, this loophole. So families that uh, couldn't see each other because of the ban uh, discovered they could, they could meet up at the library. And so the play sort of talks about one particular family that's doing that. So is this a personal story for you as well? I mean, it's personal in the sense that, you know, this this library is really like essentially in my backyard. So I grew up in in, in southern Quebec. I'm, I'm from Canada. My parents are, are Middle Eastern immigrants. Um, 
they're from Egypt, so it's not a country that was subject to the ban. But you know, when the ban was enacted, of course, you know, coming from a Muslim background, there was a lot of you know personal feelings around that and <laughs> what it meant to be living in the U.S. at that time. And so the play sort of started as a response to that, and then really also ends up becoming a lot about you know certain events that transpired in Canada and Quebec. Um, throughout the, you know, anywhere from the 70s to the 90s, that had a lot to do with nationalism. There was a movement for Quebec separation so that the the province of Quebec would be its own country. So the play sort of deals with, with what it means to, what is a country, you know, and is a country, you know, lines on the ground or, you know, is it people, is it language, is it culture? So that's what the play really deals with. And is it executive orders? The United States <laughs> must be vigilant during the visa issuance process to ensure that those approved for admission do not intend harm to Americans. That's part of the backdrop of this, this executive order. And I'm curious about the casting of this and the characters. Can you introduce, give us a sneak peek of what folks are in store for? Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a five-character play. It's all set in the reading room of the library. And 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 this is, as I said, inspired by this real place. I've, I've fictionalized a lot of the details, but what's really interesting is if you go to the library, there's a line of tape that runs through the entire building that symbolizes, that is not symbolized, is the border, right? So, you know, when you're in this one room, you know, half of the room is in Canada and half of the room is in the U.S. So I thought that, like, what an exciting setting for a play. So the whole play takes place in this room with this line of tape down the middle. And... Uh, the sort of central character is the librarian um, named Manon, who's a French-Canadian woman, and she's in a, a sort of a flirtatious romantic relationship with this uh, U.S. Customs and Border Protection officer. So there's a there's a real love story at the heart of this play. That's Bruce, right? It's Bruce, yes. This is guy Bruce Laird, um, who who's you know was transferred to this this very out of the way uh, border crossing in Vermont from Detroit, um, and you start to understand why that happened, and then. Um, there's this Iranian uh, father and daughter, Payman Gilani uh, and, and his daughter Shireen. She's a medical student um, in the U.S. He lives in Tehran, and they've been separated. They haven't seen each other uh, because of the ban, and and the play really kind of is about their story trying to meet up in the library and the various obstacles that they face. Um, and then there's a fifth character named Declan who is – uh, a boy from actually from my hometown, from Sherbrooke, who is uh, whose parents are from Northern Ireland, and he has a very specific experience being an English-speaking immigrant to Quebec, which is really a, a predominantly French-speaking place, and um, he gets involved in the story of Payman and, and Shireen as well. There's so much politics in this, but it sounds like at the heart of it is this human story, this longing to be together. And when I look at our discourse in this country, um, talking about politics and the border, etc. Um, it's so easy to be polarized ideologically, but this is this reading room in a library on the border. Is this a unique device to maybe move us on this issue, do you think? I mean, you know, I've never been interested in, like, let's talk about politics yeah. in plays. Like, I mean, politics informs our daily lives. And so what I was really trying to capture with this play is, like, well, what does that look like? What does that feel like? Like, how do we actually lean into, oh, wait, the politics around me are having an effect on, like, an interaction that I'm having with my parent or interaction I'm having with somebody that I'm flirting with, you know? And mm -hmm. and so I wanted to bring it down to those really human levels. And so for me, as, you know, a person who is, like, both Canadian and American and Middle Eastern, it's like... I, I've experienced that, you know, it's like I've been through an immigration process and that I immigrated to the U.S. from Canada and had to, like, figure out what it was like to navigate that system. You know, I saw my parents go through that being immigrants to a very different country where they didn't speak the language. And and so in this play, it's like I wanted to embrace the humanity of those experiences and not sort of lecture to an audience about like, oh, look how fractured our political system is. And we know that. Right. Mm -hmm. That's not a surprise mm -hmm. to anybody. What we want is to feel characters' lived experiences. And so that's why I created these five characters. So then drawing on these stories, you make a point, noting these are entirely fictional, but I'm guessing these are stories from your life or that you've seen or, or read about. Can you give us a little taste of the inspiration? Yeah, I mean... I Ultimately, like you're always drawing from your, I think as a writer, you're always drawing from something about your lived experience. And for me, you know, a big in that I had for this play was 
about growing up in Quebec while there was this movement for Quebec separation because that was affecting me on a very sort of personal level. And, and it's interesting, right? Like, you know, here I am. I was the only Middle Eastern kid in my hometown. Like in the entire school system, <laughs> me and my siblings were the only Middle Eastern kids, right? And did you speak French? I spoke French. I mean, when you grow up in Quebec, you're sort of, and this is explored in the play, you're kind of forced to, you know, it's, a, it's like it's drilled into you. But what was interesting is that even though I was a fluent French speaker, you know, I was like, let's say, ostracized more for being an English-speaking person than I was for being a Middle Eastern person, yeah, that's right? That's an interesting yeah. twist there. And, and that's really like one of the big things I'm exploring in the play. It's like the various ways that people are kind of ostracized. And it's not always just about race and religion. It's about all sorts of things, right? And it's like, how do we see past those divisions to just like a human connection? Mm. So as the curtain's about to rise on a distinct society at Pioneer Theater Company. How are you feeling about this, getting this up and running? I mean, it's really exciting. I, I, you know, I love Pioneer. I love Salt Lake City. This is like my fourth or fifth project in Salt Lake City. I've worked both at Slack and at Pioneer. And, you know, to me, it's it's a play is, is not a document. Like a play isn't a bunch of words on the page. To me, a play is about an audience experience, you know. So here we are. Tonight will be our very first time sharing the play in front of an audience. We have an invited audience tonight and then we open on Friday and that's when it really starts to live, you know, because it's that, it's that interaction. It's that response. That's really exciting. And it's also a real gift that, you know, this is now the first of a few different productions of this play that are happening. So it'll be great to like start a conversation here in Salt Lake city. And then we'll be taking it to Palo Alto. It'll also be in Chicago. So it's like a lot of interesting conversations with audience members is what I'm really looking forward to. And that is my last question for you. What is it you hope the audience takes away from this you've got like you said a couple different places that could go a couple different ways yeah you know it's like i'd be really curious to see because everybody's going to come in with their own let's say political standpoint right about like what is what does it mean to to protect a border what does it mean to you know put your own national identity before those of others and and there's a lot of nuance in those conversations, right? So I will expect that this audience will have a lot of different feelings about it. So to me, I'm more interested in like how they are holding these characters in their hearts and thinking about, you know, what happens to them as a result of the events of this play. And, um, you know, I'll be really curious, like what they think the ending means because it's um, it's open to a lot it's of interpretations. Mm, okay, we're not going to give it away. No. So folks, you're going to have to check it out yourself. So Josh, again, the run and how folks can get tickets. Sure. Um, again, opens this Friday and runs through February 11th. Tickets available at Pioneer Theater with an R-E dot org. And then something special happening on Saturday after the matinee. Yes, we are uh, presenting a town hall which will bring together three experts who can speak to the themes of the play. We've got Alborz Gandahari from the U of U Ethnic Studies Department, uh, Professor Amos Giora from the S.J. Quinney College of Law, and being that this is set in the library, of course, we have Cherry Willis from the Salt Lake uh, Public Library System. And that's Josh Black from Pioneer Theatre Company. And the playwright, Karim Fami of A Distinct Society, which bows uh, this weekend. World premiere, Nick. And we were able to get a pair of tickets to a listener. Thanks yeah. for calling. And Anel, we'll get those to you. But uh, a great opportunity with a theater company in our community and the conversation that is going to happen as a result of this. I'm really excited as it bows. So check tonight's show notes for links for tickets. And when we come back... We're going to be getting into how you can help folks in the refugee community. And actually, you know what? Let's just go there now. Okay. Let's just go there now because we got a long show and a little bit of time. Let's introduce our next guests instead. Felicia Maxfield Barrett, Utah Council for Citizen Diplomacy, is here. Hello. Hello. And Aiden Batar of Catholic Community Services. Thank you for coming down. Thank you. Now, originally, Nick. Two separate things found out they're connected here tonight. So I saw a recent feature on a local news outlet about the share house that Catholic Community Services runs. And then I said, hey, Felicia, you got this new symposium coming up where folks can learn more about getting involved in the refugee community and talking about the future of refugees in Utah. And just so happens, Aiden's going to be moderating a panel there. Pretty convenient. So let's find out about both, Nick. Yeah, so Felicia, thank you for being here. The Future of Refugees in Utah Worldwide uh, World Affairs Symposium that's coming up February 16th at the Utah Cultural Celebration Center. And we can give out details for that, and we'll put it all in the show notes. But Felicia, the future of refugees 
in Utah. Having lived around the world myself and in many different states, that's one thing I'm quite positive about, about Utahs. We seem to treat refugees a heck of a lot better here than many other places. That's always fascinated me about Utah. Yeah. So once upon a time, my career was working with refugees. I was with the Department of Workforce Services and then moved over to a nonprofit. And I think the interesting changes that I've seen is that we went from being a state where refugees, when they were resettled here, had to go through the government system in order to get assistance to the community saying, wait a minute, the system doesn't really work necessarily well for people coming into our state, how can we better serve them? And so, um, and and Aiden can certainly talk more about the resettlement part of it, but I, I think through the, what I've seen over the last couple, well, the last 10 years or so, is really the community step back, step up and embrace refugees coming here. Um, I A couple of things to think about is, uh, you know, there's more, uh, internally displaced people in the world now than ever before, especially with the U.S. withdrawal from Afghanistan and the war with Ukraine and Russia. Um, and so this conversation is absolutely needed now more than ever. Good point. The, the world is in turmoil. There are more people, like you say, displaced. Aiden Batar, Catholic Community Services, this ShareHouse program, I mean, it's one thing to accept refugees, but it's a whole other thing for a refugee to have a home, learn to get on the bus, find a job. It seems like that's a lot of what you do, what ShareHouse does in Catholic Community Services. It's pretty amazing, I think. Yes, absolutely. The, uh, the, 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 the Refugee Resettlement Program at Catholic Community Services started back in the 80s uh, during the Vietnam War, where many refugees we brought into our community so the share house plays integral part because that's where we collect all the donations that we need for the housing setups, uh, you know, things that the families in need, uh, you know, and also opportunity for volunteers to volunteer their time. So all, everything that we have at the share house, it goes to the to the refugees into their homes, and so. Uh, so we have uh, our website, uh, Catholic Community Services, uh, and people can go into our website. We have listed a lot of the items that we need, and also we also have an Amazon wish list where people can just go there and just uh, uh, pick the items that we need, and then it will be straight delivered to, to Catholic Community wow. Services. And so this isn't just, you know, folks need shoes and need winter coats and things, but also you need knives and forks and plates for your kitchen. You need a bed. You need a couch. I mean, I've been to your warehouse. I've actually donated stuff there. It is amazing. Yes. We, but it's running low, isn't it? It is running okay. low because every month right now we're getting 50 Ukrainians that are coming into our office that are that are not coming with anything. So they need everything they need, um, you know, clothing, you know, winter clothing, uh, you know, things for their children, toys, books, and uh, you know, all the things that they need in their housing. So plus we also getting Afghans that are arriving, plus all the other refugees that are coming from overseas. So the warehouse, if it's not, we don't have all those items that we need, it's going to be impossible for us to continue serving these families. 50 a month just from Ukraine? Just from Ukraine. I think an, on average right now we're getting close to maybe 65 when we count other refugees that are coming. So... Last year alone, we served more than 650 individuals that came from different parts of the world. Where there's conflict, and they generally, when you are displaced, you leave with the clothes on your back, maybe if you're lucky, the documents that you need. But then you get to a place like Utah, and you need to set up a new home. So what are some of the items that you need right now, given how low the share house is? The main things that we need right now is uh, furnishings, you know, couches, dining tables and chairs, uh, you know, toiletries, uh, you know, and things that we, we can use for the kitchen for the refugees, pots and pans, dishes, uh, you know, sets of, you know, knives and things like that. So uh, the list goes on. But those are the main things that we need right now. And uh, I think if you go to our website, ccsutah.org, we have everything listed there. And, uh, and the main important, go to the Amazon wish list, and then everything will be sent to Catholic Community Services. And for folks who maybe have a, a dining room set that's sitting in their basement, 
can they get your help in getting it delivered or do they need to find their own truck? So there's two ways. Either people can, uh, you know, deliver Tuesdays or uh, Thursdays between 1 and 4, or they can call and set up an appointment. We will pick it up. And the share house is where? The share house is located 440 West and 400 South in Salt Lake City. All right. We'll put those details in the show notes. You're going to be moderating a panel at the symposium with Utah Council for Citizen Diplomacy on February 16th. The future of refugees in Utah. Is the future bright? Is it cloudy? Well, there's a lot of work ahead of us. And uh, this, uh, you know, in the refugee resettlement work, uh, you know, there's millions of people that are warehoused in the refugee camp. That is our goal, to get these people out of the, you know, find them a durable solution. So I think one of the f- best things that we could do is, you know, resettlement to a third country. And, and that's what we're doing. I think our f- future right now, every administration changes. But President Biden has increased the number of refugees to 125,000. But we need to get those 125 refugees to come. We're not near close to that number this year. And if and if they can come, they still need to help. That's for sure. Absolutely. So, so go ahead. Go ahead. I was going to say this symposium. Folks can sign up for it. Uh, I think sometimes folks will hear us talk about these things and say, "Oh, it's for the specialists." But the whole philosophy of the Utah Council for Citizen Diplomacy is changing relationships, nation to nation, one handshake at a time. Yeah, so as a nonprofit, our mission is to promote respect and understanding between the people of Utah and other nations using our guiding principle, citizen diplomacy, which, in my opinion, is such a uh, easy philosophy to follow because that means that we all shape foreign relations and it's done as simply as one handshake at a time. Um, related to the symposium, we were doing the Ambassador John Price and Marcia Price World Affair Lecture Series. However, we noticed that through these lecture series, we were really trying to tackle really big issues, global issues, um, with not a whole lot of action coming out of it. So what we decided to do is to turn the lecture series into a quarterly half-day symposium, really tackle these questions in a robust way, but take the global concept and bring it down to local action. Um, And so I'm really excited. The panelists that we have coming in, um, which will be facilitated by uh, Aiden, is going to be uh, Sarah Cross, who's the Deputy Assistant Secretary for Population, Refugee, and Migration which with the State Department, which is phenomenal. To get somebody from the State Department out here is, is great. Um, and then Iskender Nagash, uh, who is with the United States Committee on Refugee and Immigrants, and Jenny Murray, who's with the National Immigration Forum, to really tackle what is going on on that global scale How can a welcoming host community do more in terms of integration? And then what is that local action? And so being able to um, point people, you know, and everybody's welcome. It's it's an open public event. be able to to talk about uh, Catholic Community Services Donation Center and say, if there's something you want to do right now with the information that you've gained, let's make sure that you go and donate or go even take a look at the Amazon wish list and figure out what yeah. you can buy today. And and you can this work that you're doing. It's so exciting to me because you just bypass all that we read about. You know, shipping container walls and hatred. You're just bypassing all of that. Um, and I think that's pretty amazing. You set up this symposium. Again, somebody from the State Department. Mm-hmm. But like you say, handshake, people to people, one-on-one. You can come here. We hopefully can get you a bed and a couch and some kitchen utensils and find you a job and a bus pass. And I just love we can get past the media crap. So thank yeah. you. Mm-hmm. We'll put all the details in the show notes, but the symposium coming up on February 16th. But the ShareHouse needs your help right now. Check the show notes. Check rallies and resources for ways to help refugees settling, setting up a new life right here in our community, Nick. It's pretty exciting. All right, stick around. Coming up next, we're going to talk about amplifying voices on the street. Ty Bellamy from Black Lives for Humanity Movement is here. We've got a representative of the Downtown Community Council, and Tony is here to share his story from the street and to get us from here to there a little bonnie light horseman cold rain and snow on krcl the utah film center and krcl present
Black, Bold, and Brilliant, a series of events that highlight issues affecting the black communities as seen through the lens of film and media in celebration of Black History Month. The next event on February 1st will discuss the life and legacy of jazz legend Louis Armstrong as seen through the eyes of the daughter the world never knew he had until now. More information is available at utahfilmcenter.org. Support for Radioactive on KRCL comes from Mark Miller Subaru and the Subaru Share the Love event, a partnership with local charities in delivering hope this holiday season. Learn more and info on how to get involved at markmillersubaru.com. Welcome back to Radioactive. I'm Nick Burns. Coming up at 7 o'clock, Democracy Now! with Amy Goodman, as always on the weeknights. Rude Awakening rolls with Liz at 8. Maximum Distortion, as always, at 1030, 10.30 with Forgesh and Cody D. And you can start a brand new day with John Florence. That'll be 6 a.m. tomorrow morning. But for now, Amplifying Voices on the Street. This is a huge panel for us to wrangle, which I think is really exciting in the studio here. So I think we just need to go around and kind of let folks introduce themselves with my help because we got a big crowd here, and I think that's pretty cool. Um, the dog won't be able to talk, I'm sad to say, because she's really cute. But Ty Bellamy, hi. Hello, how are you? Up on the mic, you're doing great. Wonderful. Hello, With how are you? Black Lives for Humanity movement. Welcome yes. to the show. Welcome back. Thank you back. for having me. So, and uh, Mickey Hunter, Vice Chair, Downtown Westside Community Council. You and I were talking earlier before the show. You're someone who now is doing this outreach and helping, and you're, you know, formerly of the houseless community. Yes, I am. And you're, you have family members out on the street, but yes, now yourself, you, you've gone from a pickup truck to a real home. Yes. So that's wonderful. So thank you. And Tony Lambert, hi. Hi, how are you? Fine, how are you? Very good, thank you. And it's your puppy, right? That's not mine. She just, what she wants me to be. (laughs) (laughs) That's Uncle Tony. She does. It's like a shared puppy? Yeah, she loves me. Oh, that's pretty sweet. I can't think of the last time I've done a panel on Radioactive where we've had... uh, where we've had dogs come and be on the show, too. So Mm -hmm. I'm not sure how to get into this, Ty, but I guess I'd come back to you as a place to start. Mm -hmm. Voices on the street, we've seen all this action. We see see these pushes, a word I just learned today. You know, we push people from this block, and they go to the next block, and then they come back. Uh, Nothing nothing good seems to come of it Mm -hmm. other than that people on that block maybe can feel good for 20 minutes. So what are you seeing out there? Uh, I'm not seeing anybody feeling good in 20 minutes because in 15 minutes they're going to come back and tell them to move somewhere else. Um, I was thinking of the people who live on that street might feel good for 15 minutes. Oh, oh, you're talking about the housed people. The housed people might feel good for 15 minutes. Yeah. And it seems like the policies we try and enact are based on helping those people, exactly. not the people who need the help. Exactly, and that's the problem. That okay. we, are, we are directing um, the, the help, if you will, to the wrong people. Um, you know, people are in their houses, and they're warm, and they ha- can shower, and they're safe. They can lock their doors. When they leave, they can come back, and their home is still there. Their belongings are still there. Um, we're not, we're going to start focusing on the people that leave and come back to nothing, and then the narrative is that they abandoned their homes. Uh. Nobody abandons their homes. Um out on the street, especially when it's a brand new six to eight person tent that they just took last week. Um, you know, that's, that's, that's how they cover themselves. And what they're doing is they're sentencing people to death. The city is allowing it. The city is actually perpetuating it. And they are demanding that police officers enforce it. Um, and it's, it's really wrong. We've already lost 13 people. Uh, they keep hanging on to the number five because they don't want the public to know that these deaths have increased because the weather, the, the temperatures have, have reduced. Uh, we had nine out here in Salt Lake County. Uh, they passed away in less than a week. And then we had four up there in Utah County. Um, and the latest funeral being last week for, for Miss Peaches. And I can hear a bit of anger in your voice, which I think is pretty justified. So how did you get into this work? Uh, This is something that I grew up doing. Uh, I tell people this is in my DNA. My father looked out for not just unsheltered people, but for anybody that had a need. So I would say people in need. Um, And then when he passed away 28 years ago, I continued on. Uh, This is my father's legacy, but this is also my responsibility as a human being to make sure that what I have uh, can make sure that other people are okay. 
And I like that notion that you're a human being and so are these people on the street. And that seems to be something a lot of people have forgotten. Yeah. Everybody's a human. And that's why I'm always saying I'm so tired of humanizing humans to humans. Um, I'm, I'm tired of trying to put a, a, a face um, to them. It's just another person on the street. It's a, it's a nuisance. It's a it's another blanket, another tent. But there's a there's a person. There's a human being. Matter of fact, we almost had a bulldozer pick up somebody in a pile of Scrape blankets yesterday somebody. trying to stay warm. Uh, these are these are people. They're individuals. And uh, I'm just trying to make sure that people understand that because nobody cares. Well, some people care, but some not people, enough. Some people. Not enough. Not enough. And, and not the people in the right places. Good point. We need our leadership to care. Care, um, yeah. Care in know. a different way. Absolutely. So, so, Mickey Hunter, bring you in here. Vice Chair, Downtown Westside Community Council. You yourself used to be on the street. You have family members currently on the street. Not an easy job for you to go out and help folks, I don't think. I mean, it takes a lot. It would be much harder not to. Tell me about that. I just don't understand how people can walk down the street and pass this all by. That is, to me, the most difficult thing ever. Well, to me, I, I mean, I, I don't want to take sides, but I'll play devil's advocate, I think, and that is because many people just blame the victim. You're in a sleeping bag on the street because you did it to yourself. But yes, I'm, that but is the sentiment. That's the sentiment, uh, but it's not the it case. Is. I mean, plenty no, of people— not living in the car, living on the street, have perfectly good jobs, and they still can't find a place to live. Exactly. And that's why it's so appalling when everybody just passes, assuming and looking at them and treating them like garbage when they're not. Yeah. They're human beings. And, and it was you who taught me this word push that we were talking about before the show just a half hour ago that, you know, we, we cleaned up, we cleaned up, and I'll use that word very carefully, downtown, which was basically pushed people without homes out of downtown and now it seems to be like a round robin from neighborhood to neighborhood it is and and it's not just neighborhood to neighborhood it's the same neighborhood and that's why i understand what you were talking about the residents 15 minutes of comfort or whatever they want to call it Hmm. because that's all it lasts it's pushed from one side of the block to the other side of the because there's no place else to go so exactly. it's from one side to the other side, then to the east side, then to the west side, then to the north side, then to the south side. And then after a certain point, like it's gotten to now, people are literally hiding in alleys and behind garbage cans and dumpsters. People are dying. They are dying. Are and they're dead. dying in alleys behind dumpsters. And that's how is that right in any way at all? Tony, want to yes. bring you in here, Tony Lambert. Yeah, hi. Tell me about your life. Uh, all right. Well, I, I became homeless uh, in 2012, and my dad passed away. Um, I developed a drinking problem as my coping mechanism for my depression and my anxiety. Um, so you were living with your dad before that. Uh, I was. Yeah, my uh, dad passed away early, 54, oh, um, and he young. had he had substance abuse problems of his own. Um, kind of hidden in the closet um and my mom too she was a heavy drinker so my the, my natural coping mechanism was to go drink and just dis- disappear that, yeah. that emotion you know um it's a, but then it led it's a to, way to be uh, numb yeah 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 but uh, one thing leads to another you get evicted from your apartment you, you lose your job you're depressed you don't you don't care that you hit the streets you know and the streets are are comforting because there's people like you that, that, you know, struggle. To get is, it. So you're from here, right? Uh, I'm from Denver. I was I was raised here, though. Yeah. Okay. Because it seems that's one thing that I've noticed about the homeless community here that I've been learning, and that is, as opposed to where I used to live on the West Coast, a lot of the homeless community here, the people are from here. A lot. Yeah. A lot of them are. Uh, we, uh, we struggle. Uh, when I was a kid, there wasn't, a homeless community when we would go down to the Vivint Arena or whatever for an event, you'd maybe see one or two, uh, someone holding a, a sign yeah. asking for money. But but now it's it we're everywhere. And I never thought I, I would end up in this position. Yeah. And I'm still stuck here. I'm uh, talking 11 years. Yeah. Uh, yeah. 12 years. Um, it, again, you, you just kind of just end up spiraling like I. Uh, Drinking led to DUI. DUI led to a felony. Felony led to prison. 
it, it leads to no job, it leads, leads to, to can't get a job, leads it, to can't get an apartment. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's a vicious circle. Yeah. Um, what do you think's changed in the tw- – you said, you know, when you were a kid, yeah, there'd be one or two people, and now there's this – there's multitudes of homeless people. What do you think's changed? Uh, cost of living. Uh, okay. Essentially, like, I could get in a two-bedroom apartment for 850 bucks when I was in my 20s. Now you're looking at 1200 for a crap studio. Uh, and that's uh, uh, again it's not felony friendly it's uh, your options are limited your your history your background check uh, everything gets ran it I once I paid 30 bucks application fee to find an apartment in like 10 different places and got denied that's 300 bucks it was going towards my down payment 300 bucks for nothing for nothing yeah to application fees and yes, Nikki, so, you were like, talking earlier about this notion of vouchers, which of course you can get on a voucher list. It can take years, but oh, even yeah. even that, you've got to pay the application fee, and on and on and on. There's like this insurmountable wall of barriers to even get help, yeah. let yes, alone get a place is. to live. Yeah. Because the barriers, you have a voucher. They're typically for eighteen hundred dollars. Depends. And you can't get a studio for that. And, and then there's the $40 credit check fee per person. So if you're a couple, that's $80. And, and if you're trying to have four people live together mm-hmm. yeah, to, to save on rent, then to you're 160 To apply for one place yeah. that you're pretty sure you're not going to get because they let you know when you go in there that they have a waiting list mm. and that they've had 100 people come and apply and that they all have more money than you do, you know it. So it's impossible. If you have a felony, Uh, evictions, mm -hmm. um, bad credit, all of those bar you. If you have mental illness, if you have substance abuse, that all bars you from housing. They'll still take all your application money, though. Oh, absolutely. So years ago, though, and I don't know, Ty, whether I should throw this to you or Mickey or Tony, but years ago, Salt Lake City was getting some national attention for leading out on, you know, housing first. Let's get people under a roof. Then we'll work on the mental health. Then we'll work on the addictions. That seems to kind of gone by the wayside. Well, here's the thing with that is that let's keep it real. Those numbers were fudged. Lies were told. And that was never a thing. Um, I want to jump back to what she was saying, though. Um, Another thing that we have we run into is if you have people on the street, and 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 they're they're warned by the police sometimes they're not they get a citation for city camping that first ticket is $680 these guys don't have the money they're afraid to go in to see the judge or they get pushed messed with i was at one camp yesterday and and yesterday within less than eight hours the police showed up there 13 times so with the stress that they're under they forget their court dates now there's a warrant Okay, now let's say that Tony comes up on the on the housing list. He's got a warrant now that he either gets put back to the end of the line or he gets kicked off that housing list completely. I mean, call me stupid, but wouldn't it be cheaper to put somebody in a house than to give somebody a seven hundred dollar ticket and a warrant that they can't? Um, Absolutely. I mean, mean, let's call us our all of ourselves stupid. Wouldn't it be cheaper to take that sixty five million dollars for Rio Grande (laughs) and either (laughs) build affordable housing or revamp it, make it cleaner, more modern and and more rooms to house the people like let's let's listen. There would be there. Let's tell the truth and shame the devil. (laughs) So so here we are in the middle of the legislative session. Are you all up on the hill trying to get stuff done? I'm trying to get Everybody up on the hill. I'm trying to get everybody that's being affected up on the hill, but they're afraid of the police. Scared. scared. Afraid they of are going afraid. Up there, Tony, they, no, afraid they're being afraid there? of arrested. They have warrants. Um, they. I've had people that don't have warrants, but they've been profiled because they know that they've arrested him several times. They know he's been in prison. Tony, if he takes off his hat and shaves his head, his whole head is tattooed. His neck, his chest tattooed. They will pull up on him. And they will start profiling. They will start demanding his name. And, and they put in this, this, this intimidation to where these guys don't want to be around the police. And now so I've even had some police start targeting me and start trying to intimidate me. Whoa. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Ty, you I wouldn't want to be the, the past, cop in your face. So, right? Tony, somebody like you going up to the hill, you'd be just inviting arrest, let alone not being able to be heard. Well, fortunately, this October I terminated my case, so... Uh, 
I'm no longer on parole, and it doesn't bother me okay. to go and stand up for myself. Uh, but that zero to five, it took me eight years because I kept going wow. back. Uh, my parole officer demanded a, a permanent address. I couldn't provide you that. You don't have an address. No, I don't have an. Uh, the Wiggins Center, they, uh, the shelters, they, they don't give you credit for Unless you're there like uh, every single day in the shelters, it's um, not. Well, that's not no feasible. way that uh, my mental health would crash. Uh, but I'm I mean, not worried about it. But there are a lot of people that that are that are just like she said, yeah. scared because uh, they're they're making up charges. Even they're city camping. City and camping. Like, we ran into a dude last night. <laughs> last he night. just got out of jail. Uh, they s- pulled him over because they said. Uh, he he was walking down the street. Yeah, he, he said they pulled him over for uh, a, a murder or something. Yeah, you looked like a suspect that was involved in a murder. Yeah, and th- that happened to me once. You looked like someone involved uh-huh. in an assault. Well, now you're already caught. You know what I mean? So your warrant check's going to get ran. They're using that uh, as as a scare tactic too. Yeah. Uh, what's your name? Yeah, because I'm gonna yeah I'm gonna I'm gonna run your your. You're so I'm, hear, I'm hearing all this negativity, all these problems, you know, kicked when you're down yeah. and then kicked again. Uh, oh, again, stomped yeah. into the things against the, you. And yet, yet you're here talking yeah. and I hear underneath all this some optimism. It could be it could you could make it better. Listen, we could make it better if we could get leadership to listen to us. There are affordable ways to house people. There are things that can be done. First of all, we need to get all the barriers when it comes to zoning. We've got to loosen the slots here in Utah. Okay. We've, we've got to become more progressive in this state. And so once you once you stop holding people, choke holding people with the zoning laws, I have access to over 2,000 shipping containers. Okay, let's start building container homes, complexes. Let's start doing that. Let's provide supportive on-site housing because you can't take people from the street with the traumas that they'd be dealing with, with the mental health struggles, with the addiction struggles, put them in an, in an apartment and say, hey, we did you a favor. We're out. Good luck. Yeah. You cannot yeah. do that. They need okay. support. Ongoing. And you've got to care. Absolutely. Even when people on the street get housed and they're in their places, I'm still providing care. I'm still checking up on them. I'm still taking them well, food. I've even slept at their houses for a couple of weeks to help them adapt to be to go from the street even, to being in an apartment. Now you even, have to care. Even without, even without addiction problems, even without felony convictions, if you've been on the street a dozen years. Just to be in an apartment and to have a roof must be freaky and you need help. It is because they're used to the noise. They're used to having other people around them. They're used to the cold weather. Now they're in a warm, quiet spot by themselves. It's just freaky. Absolutely. But it's not just people that are struggling with mental health or people that are struggling with addiction out there. We have seniors out there. We have people that are aging out of foster care out there. We've got people running from domestic violence situations. We've got people that have come out here from other states from jobs and their suitcase got lost on the plane or on the, on the Greyhound bus. Now they don't have ID. We have all different kinds of people out there. So let's stop focusing on people with mental health and an addiction and saying that those are the only people out there. That's back to blaming the victim. Listen, and that's what we do here so that we don't have to take accountability for our our actions as leadership here in Utah. It's easier to blame them than to look at ourselves. Good point. Mickey, have you been up on the hill? Are you a lobbyist or you focus on the street? I'm focused on the street, and I've just barely been trying to transition into, like, my duties at the council and joining other. Because every time they tell me, love your enthusiasm, Mickey, not the venue, go over here, I go over there. (laughs) And then over there, they're like, love your enthusiasm, Mickey, not the venue, go over here. So now I'm here, there, everywhere, and I'm just trying to figure this all out. Well, yeah. you're doing t- talking to you. It's been fantastic this evening. So thank you for that. This is Radioactive. I'm Nick Burns. We're we're doing a panel here on Radioactive tonight. We want to amplify voices on the street. Talking with Ty Bellamy. Talking with Tony Lambert. Talking with Mickey Hunter. All involved either directly, indirectly in employment or by enthusiasm or by activism, trying to get something done differently with folks on the street. Laura. Yeah, I wanted to ask Ty a question because in past uh, visits here on Radioactive, you said you were ready to put the tents on the people's lawn. I mean, now you've talked about that folks are, they're nervous about that, but that's the people's lawn. That is press that lawmakers will have to deal with if the state police remove folks. 
And so I'm just kind of curious, is that in your back pocket during this legislative Listen, session? it's in my front pocket. I keep telling people this is the time right now. They are up in that building and they are talking about you. They are talking around you. They need to talk to you. Okay, they need to know what your situation is, how you got it here, how they can help you. Now, I, Spencer Cox, Governor Cox, last year asked for $155 million for deeply affordable housing. And they said, eh, we're going to give you $55 million. But I wonder if they talk to the people that are out here freezing, that are looking for food, they're looking to be left alone, they're looking to be housed and left alone until they can get housed. I wonder if that would... Uh, if that would motivate them to give a little more. Uh, Salt Lake Tribune did an article where they actually stated that the reason why, um, when they talked about this, the reason why they weren't giving as much money is because they'd been asking the city for a plan. What is your plan to deal with homelessness? What have you done with the money we've already allocated towards homelessness? Because we're not seeing the results you told us that you were going to give us. And it outlined how many years that they had been asking the city to provide this information. And because the city didn't provide that information, the state, the legislature said, well, then listen, we're not going to keep giving you money if you cannot tell us where it's going. You told us you were going to take care of homelessness, but we're seeing it increase instead of decrease. Well, it's like you're you're just blaming Salt Lake City. You're blaming mm-hmm. the victim again. Well, and the mayor in her <laughs> state of the city said this is not a Salt Lake City only yeah. problem. And I feel like the state and the city, they go back and forth. You well, know, uh, down in Utah County, Provo, the way the statutes are, are written, they don't have emergency shelters they have some nonprofits and some NGOs mm-hmm. that are doing some work and helping like mm-hmm. Genesis Project which started movie Love night seven them. years ago yes. when it gets cold and inspired Dave John you and now the second and second coalition to have it at First United Methodist but you're already encountering problems there because it's a heavy use on a facility that is independent not getting grant money and they've got some uh, some sewer and infrastructure problems shout out folks that's a way to help is to go down to First United Methodist and say, well, how can I fix the toilets? Yeah, I mean, I, I heard that they have a plumber, but it's like, let's get him in there. Here's my thing. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm so tired of hearing about how Salt Lake um, is not wanting to do anything more because of the fact that they've done so much. Um, Erin Mendenhall applied for this position in Salt Lake. This is not her first rodeo. She was in government beforehand. She knew that Salt Lake would be the area where most of the unsheltered population would be. If she did not want to follow through with what she promised on the campaign trail to her constituents, she should have never applied. Now she gets an office. She doesn't want to do her job. She's frustrated and she's throwing her hands up because other people won't step in to do her job for her. Yes, rest the rest of the state and the state should definitely step in. There are other cities, there are other counties. However, you don't get the right to say I'm not doing this. You don't get to throw your tantrum and let people die on your watch. You keep going. Somebody's got to be the leader in this. You provide it you 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 applied for that position to lead, do it. And we're here to help you. When you have people that are boots on the ground that are giving you suggestions and you're telling them to call your office and set up a meeting so that you can discuss this further, but you're not answering your phone calls, when I'm coming in your office in person and I'm being shooed to another building, when I'm getting no response from emails, how are we supposed to receive this except for you don't care? And this is why we're standing ground. This is why Camp Last Hope came into position two years ago because if you're not going to do something, the community will. You mentioned this notion of shipping container homes, and we've seen that apartment building go up with shipping containers that they're figuring out. We've also seen that, and I will call it a drop in the bucket, what is it, 34 little tiny homes, yeah. 36 tiny homes going up? So far. Are you so talking far? about for yeah, the, the little, other side village? Other side yeah, the village. other side village. So the other side village this summer will have 80 homes 80, ready to okay, move into. I'm sorry. Their goal is to have a little over 400. Um, my concern there is how long is it going to take for us to get to the 400? That's going to take a couple more years. My concern would be will they keep supporting the services to service the, the folks living there, or will it be one and done with help? No, I have a relationship with the people that are going to be at the other side the village. The other side folks, okay. And so I will definitely make sure that, and, and we're in communication, I'll make sure that that happens the way it does. Do, um, you, think, do you think 80 homes is something worth talking about um no they're, they, they obviously the goal is to to have 
400 plus, like I said. Um, I was a little nervous when I heard 80 because then I'm like, how long is it going to take for us to get to the 400? Because <laughs> then that means that we're still going to have people for years and years to come before that, before that community is built and it's full. Um, and then the apartment complex over there by Pamela's place that has the container homes, I guess they couldn't figure out the wiring to these containers because they were stacked. Well, then let's get some land and let's put them level on the ground around each other so that you're not having to stack them. And let's figure it out. I have people that have already turned them into office spaces, living spaces. I can bring them in. There's no excuse for people to be out here. Right. The excuse. The excuses are long and deep. Don't we have? We, you mentioned Tony. Four thousand homeless people. Isn't there a count this weekend? This, yeah, it's, it's a new one every year. <laughs> and and who's doing the count? Yeah. I'm they have sure. volunteers come they out. Have volunteers. Well, this is what was interesting. The news story I saw last night in Channel Four. Sorry to jump on there, Tony. <laughs> that they they were abating yeah. moving people yep. from the island, which is fifth west, fifth and four hundred south. south. Yes, after they um, pushed because them they couldn't week. move them during the point in time count. The unspoken part because that would look bad is kind of what I heard in the news story. So what, what do you think? looked bad is that when the when the retailer show was coming two weeks ago, they pushed everybody from Rio Grande to 400 South. They weren't allowed to be there. They had to be on 500 West and 400 South. That is what looked bad. That is what was horrible. And I Perfect. had a police officer tell me they were all to be pushed and had to be contained on this one block because this big event was coming. How disgusting. Yeah. Because you want Salt Lake City to look so good. Where like this selling, perfect white dress and there's where no stain on it. Where they're selling tents and where they're selling tents right. and sleeping right. bags. Well, we got the NBA okay. All-Star game Absolutely coming up too, And then so it's going to happen again real, because we've worse. got the NBA All-Star <laughs> thing coming. So we call it leaf blowing. Where they come and they're blowing them well, and trying to get them out of the way. It, I mean, oh. exactly. Oh. Exactly. So a couple minutes left. I know this is a fantastic conversation. And I hope we can all do it again, but a couple minutes left. Mickey, I want to bring you back in here. You live this. I mean, Tony, you're on the street. Yeah, but I haven't got out, so she's... Yeah. Yeah. So, Mickey, you're working for the Downtown Westside Community Council volunteer position. Yes. You do have a home now from going from homeless I to a pickup truck. I have a while. Um, but yet your family, not so much. You've got kids, grandkids. They're all homeless. It's not easy, and yet you're out there doing the work along with Ty and others. And I'm curious what keeps you going. I mean, it's obvious on one hand you see the need, but to not just sort of feel beat down by the hopelessness of what goes on. I'm not saying that we don't feel beat down sometimes, but we're the ones that people have. If we can't get up and go do it, nobody is. Because the city is not. If not you, who? Okay. Yeah. So who is going to bring this out? Nobody wants to see it. I've been on the council for six years. And the first time was today that I got someone to meet with after six years. Six freaking years to meet with who? Michelle Hoon. Okay. She is, she oversees the salt lake corporation cleanup crew the pit crew which we've been having a lot of problems with and ty you're just shaking your head abatement crew is that it yeah yeah six years to get a meeting to get a meeting i've tried for six years to get Mm -hmm. a garbage can because they're like the dirt the dirt well it's like how about some garbage cans i haven't got one garbage can (sighs) i haven't gotten one porta potty so forget having, a, forget having a container home on a piece of land or a tiny house. We can't even get a freaking porta potty. That part. Correct. Mm-hmm. We can't get trash cans. All we, we can't got. Because that would what? That would invite people then to congregate around the trash can? That, that's their and excuse. The that's and the, the porta potty. And the porta potty. There's one porta potty down on Fifth West. That's why a lot of people so are down there. So then people take a dump in somebody's yard. So then they call the cops. So then they come and push the people across the this street. Part. Mm-hmm. And yeah. then they take a dump over exactly there and they get pushed is. back. And, and that porta potty gets locked every night at 7 p.m. By the they, way, <laughs> oh God, yeah. I was going to laugh. They lock yeah. the porta potty. Yes. yes, because they're uh-huh. trying to prevent overdoses. Is is and they're trying to prevent prostitution. Um, but let me just and I've told them Somebody's a million times they're in the porta potty. But you're increasing sexual assault because now you've got women on the street that can't get into a bathroom to lock a door behind them to go to the bathroom so they're having to partially undress to do it on the street (sighs) guess what 
you've created another problem. It's a, it's a problem all the way around. This is Radioactive. I know we're going to have to leave it there, but we are trying to amplify voices on the street. And on this show, we do what those other news shows don't, and that is we can give a voice to folks like Tony Lambert, who is out there on the street, and to Mickey Hunter. Thank, thank you, you very much. Shout out to Georgia and CD. There you go. Uh, and Mickey Hunter, me. thank yeah. you. Oh, thank you so yeah, much. And Vice Chair of the Downtown Westside Community Council. And Ty Bellamy, gosh. 10 seconds. Having people go and just live on the Capitol grounds. Wow. It needs to happen. It needs to freaking happen, especially because we have city employees assaulting unsheltered people. They need to be protected from people. And so we've got to get housing now. Website, social? Uh, Black Lives for Humanity Movement group on Facebook. Um, And you can also help me do what I need to do on the streets by donating to my Venmo at The Fighting Queen. The Space Fighting Space Queen. Um, And we appreciate you listening. Ty Bellamy, thank you very much. Mickey Hunter, thank you. Oh, thank you so much. Pleasure to talk with you. Tony Lambert, best wishes. I got a job. I just can't go to it (laughs) because I don't I'm scared that my stuff's going to come up missing. I have a job with the union. I just I'm almost there. I'm almost there. But it's there's. It's so exciting and so depressing both, but best wishes to all y'all and all the work you're doing. It's amazing. This is Radioactive. We're going to have to leave it there. Democracy Now! is next. I'm Nick Burns. KRCL, Salt Lake City. Support for KRCL comes from our listeners and the Corporation for Public Broadcasting.